All right, so we're continuing our series, uh, All Misfits Welcome Here. Now, I told you last week that uh, I know it's cheesy, but I love the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer animation uh, movie thing that came, comes on every, every Christmas. Uh, it came on last night. Apparently, I got a Facebook message that it came on last night. I missed it. I was actually preaching at another church last night, so I didn't get to see it. But uh, like I said on Facebook, it'll probably come back on another 348,000 times before Christmas starts. So uh, I'll get another opportunity to see it, I'm sure. I've also had DVDs and VHS and everything else offered to me in, in order to be able to watch it. Um, I probably could watch the whole thing on YouTube. It, they probably have the whole movie on YouTube. Uh, but if you remember, uh, in the movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Rudolph and Hermie, is it Hermie or Herbie? Hermie? Hermie, uh, who is a elf that wants to be a dentist. He doesn't like making toys, which... I don't understand that. How could you not like making toys for Santa? But he doesn't like making toys. He wants to be a dentist, and so he doesn't really feel like he fits in. And him and Rudolph end up finding a guy named Yukon Cornelius, and they go to the island of misfit toys, and they find all these toys that don't exactly fit in. They've got a Charlie in the box. They've got uh, a boat that won't float. They've got a train with square wheels, uh, a spotted elephant, you know, just lots of things that just don't fit. And nobody wants to play with these toys because they don't fit in. And we talked about the fact that, that some of us sometimes, I know that you guys are a lot cooler than me, but there have been times in my life where I didn't really feel like I fit in exactly. Uh, I, I, I told you last week that I, you know, as a young teenager in that 10 to 14 age, uh, year age group, I, I was kind of awkward. I weighed about 8 pounds. I had allergies real bad. Um, I, uh, I, I was in the band, which I know that's a super cool thing to do right now, but at that point in time, it wasn't exactly where all the cool people hung out. And, and something that I forgot to mention about uh, the fact that I had these really bad allergies and was the only kid in school that carried around a handkerchief, there was something about picture day. And I don't know what it was, but there is something about picture day that made me sneeze. Uh, it made my allergies act up every single time. I knew when picture day was coming that I would have an allergy attack. There was only one time that I didn't have an allergy attack on picture day, and that was when I didn't know picture day was coming. So I think that must, it must have been up here somewhere, but every single picture, if you look at me, uh, my mom has got a wall full of pictures in our downstairs basement area. And it, it, every single one of those for picture day, I have one eye halfway open and one eye halfway closed. My nose is red. Now, my lip, it looks like it's cracking, about ready to bleed. I mean, every single time, picture day was very rough on me, and it was very rough on my allergies. And I thought, man, if I could just get one single picture, it would be really good. So I was a little bit of a misfit uh, growing up, um, you know, when it comes to how you look and how you act and that sort of thing. And uh, I will tell you that I surrendered my heart and life to Christ at the age of nine. I still have my children's Bible where I wrote down the day when I got saved. It was in November when I was nine years old. And I remember, I know for sure that God saved my heart and saved my soul that day when I repented and turned and gave my life to Christ. But the reality is that there was a period of time from that point uh, up until the time where I came about 20, 21 years old that I really, the, the picture of my life is not one that reflected Christ like it should have. Now, I didn't exactly do all the things that I should have done. I wasn't very faithful in church attendance. Now, we can try to blame that. on. I could probably point fingers and try to blame that on any number of things. But the bottom line is, it was my testimony, it was my relationship with Jesus, and I had a choice that I could either let my light shine for the kingdom of God, or I could not. And the truth of the matter is, I didn't exactly do that. You see, I, I continued to be a nerd all the way through high school, and 
I graduated number six in my class, and I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm just telling you I was a nerd, okay? And I graduated number six in my class at Oxford High School back in 1995. And one of the things that you had to do if you were number six in your graduating class that you had to do was you had to say the prayer at the baccalaureate service on Sunday morning before graduation. Now, can you imagine me praying in front of an auditorium full of people? I mean, that's ludicrous to think that I'd actually do that, right? I imagine standing in front of a bunch of people, having to talk to God in front of people. That, that just seems crazy, right? At this point in my life, it did. As a, as a stupid teenager, me doing this, and, and I stood up there, and look, I don't remember what I said. It was about six sentences long. I know I had to get it pre-approved uh, before I could actually pray this prayer. I had to get somebody to sign off on and say, yeah, that's good, you can pray that. Uh, I don't remember what I said. I remember I stuttered and stammered and, 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 and coughed and everything else, and my voice went up and down. Uh, like I was back to that 12, 13-year-old days again, you know. Uh, I remember all of that. But what I remember more distinctly than, than just praying that prayer is what was said to me when I was uh, an 18-year-old kid. And, and they brought all the, the upper the people in the, the top ten of the class, they brought them in to the principal's office. And they gave out the assignments of here's what you're supposed to do and here's what you're supposed to do. And, and valedictorian, you'll be given the speech and... Uh, salutatory and you'll be doing this and blah 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 and they said all right number six in the class I don't even think they got a name for it. it's number six number six guy um, you're supposed to say the prayer at the baccalaureate service and what I remember more distinctly than anything and I remember this like it was yesterday is is one of my very best friends look at me in the face and he said do you even know how to pray that was my testimony that was, that was my testimony at 18 years old. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you can be different. You can have a different testimony. You, you, you may have started out one way and you may have, have not kept on the path that you were supposed to be on. But there is a way, there is, there is a way that you can turn that around and say, you know what, I don't care what yesterday looked like, today is going to be different. Uh, my testimony may not have been so good yesterday, but today I'm turning it around. I, I, I'm doing something different because today is a new day. There, there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And, and today may be a brand new day for you. And you say, I don't care what the past looked like. I don't care what I, if my light didn't shine brightly for the kingdom of God. Today I want to do something different. I want my life to point towards the kingdom of God. I want my life to point towards Jesus. And I made that commitment in my life. I, I made that commitment for me. And I can tell you, uh, I don't say this boastfully, but I, I, I say this because I can tell you that my testimony speaks for itself because I was at lunch this week sitting in the break room and I pray over my meal in the break room. Every single time I'm in there, I pray over, I pray over my meal. And I, I pray, I say, God specifically, please God, let my prayer over my meal be a testimony for my life and my commitment to follow you. I said, I don't see anybody else praying in this break room, but God, I will pray, and I want my light to shine for you in your kingdom. And there was this lady that works for me, and she works with me, actually, and she said, I had just gotten done praying for my meal, and she looks at me dead in the eye. She's sitting across from me. She looks at me dead in the eye, and she said, you ever struggle with doubt? I said, well, yeah, about twice a day, as a matter of fact, about twice a day. She said, you know, God, he used to show himself to be a burning bush or a, you know, it, a cloud in the daytime or, or fire at night leading people. She said, sometimes I just have a difficult time seeing 
seeing God and seeing where he is, and sometimes I struggle with doubt. Now, I talked to her, and I said, you know what the good thing is? She said, I'm preaching this message on Sunday, so uh, you're welcome to come, and you're welcome to come hear this, but um, she knows that I'm a pastor of a church, and she knows that, that I am fully sold out and fully committed to Jesus Christ, and I'll do whatever it takes to reach anybody, anywhere, anytime, and and. Just because I was that stupid teenager that everybody looked at and said, I don't even think he knows how to pray. Today's a different day. Now my, my testimony is different. And people are coming to me saying, Kenny, I, I, I'm struggling with this. I need help with this. Will you pray with me about this? Have you ever been through this? And I can say, yeah, let me talk to you about Jesus and what he did in my life. In the times I struggle with doubt and I struggle uh, with questioning things that happened in my life. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. So today is different. There may have been that point in time where I was, I was one way, but today I'm a different way. And, and today I hope and pray that my life points towards Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about a guy today who was one of the biggest misfits in the Bible. And we're going to talk about the fact that, that he pointed the way. He pointed to Jesus. His life, his whole life was for the purpose of pointing to Jesus. And because of that, God said, or Jesus said about this man, he was the greatest man born among women. We're going to talk about that guy. His name is John the Baptist. You may have heard of him. We're going to talk about him today in Matthew chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you're welcome to turn there with me. Sorry. In Matthew chapter 3, it says in my Bible here, it says, John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist, beginning in verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, there, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The prophet Isaiah was talking about John the Baptist and the fact that Nobody, no prophets had existed for several hundred years, 400 years or so, and, and all of a sudden there is this man who is now a prophet, appears on the scene, and, and his purpose is to prepare the way for the kingdom of God, the fact that Jesus is coming, the fact that Jesus was to appear on earth to save the whole world from their sins. Uh, you see, if we go back to Luke chapter 1, we were in Luke chapter 2 last week, Luke chapter 1 actually talks about the fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth Elizabeth was most likely Mary, the mother of Jesus, most likely her first cousin. Um, and, and, and what we see there is that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah's servant in the temple, and he's burning incense. It's his time to burn incense in the temple. And he, he has an angel appear to him and tells him that he's going to have a, a son. And he's like, do what? Me and my wife are really old. We've seen this before in the Bible, right? Abraham and Sarah, God comes to them and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're really old. That's not possible. Well, the angel says to Zechariah, yeah, indeed you are going to have a son, and I can show you how powerful God is. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make you be silent until your son is born. He's like, huh? And that's the last thing he said. Um, until his son John was born, uh, he was completely silent, unable to speak, until he was able to speak his name and tell everybody what, what his name would be, and his name was going to be John. This angel appeared to him and said, you are going to have a son, and he is going to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, one of the things that he said that they were supposed to do with this, this, this boy that was supposed to be born and prepare the way for Jesus is that he wasn't supposed to touch alcohol. He wasn't supposed to touch it. He wasn't supposed to drink alcohol. 
He was actually supposed to take what was called a Nazarite vow. You ever heard of a Nazarite? Samson was the most famous Nazarite in the Bible that we hear about. Uh, Samson, we know, couldn't cut his hair. Uh, that was for a, pr- a purpose of, of keeping his strength, but uh, Nazarites couldn't cut their he- hair. They couldn't drink alcohol. They couldn't touch alcohol. They couldn't touch dead things. There were certain ways that they were supposed to deal with dead bodies and all of this kind of stuff. Well, John the Baptist took this Nazarite vow, and, and he didn't drink or touch alcohol, and he, he didn't really cut his hair, and he kind of lived out in the wilderness. And we see what, he, what else he did. Here it says, John's clothes, in verse 4, chapter 3, it says, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and, they wore, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts for food and wild honey. People from Jerusalem, from all Judea, all over the Jordan Valley, went out to see and hear John. He didn't look normal. He was a little bit of a misfit. Can you imagine hanging out with a guy that's got a camel's hair coat on in the middle of the wilderness? It's probably hot outside, too, and he's still wearing his camel's hair coat. His hair is really nappy and messed up. He doesn't, he doesn't hang out. He doesn't go to parties and stuff like that because he's not supposed to touch or drink alcohol. So uh, God has set him apart for a, sep- for a special purpose. So he's not going with the in crowd. He's not hanging out with the upper echelon. He's not going and, and uh, partying it up with the folks that got a lot of money. or He's not going to wedding feasts and stuff where they're drinking alcohol. He's not doing any of that kind of stuff. He's out in the wilderness. He's got long nappy hair, wearing camel's hair. He's eating bugs for crying out loud. The man's eating locusts and honey. I mean, who wants to do that, right? John's life, his whole life was set apart for the purpose of preparing the way for the king. He lived in that. He dwelled in that, and everything about him was, was about the king. It was about the fact that he had to live in such a way that every single thing in his life pointed towards Jesus and the soon coming Messiah. That's why all he preached was, he kept telling him, he says, he says, repent of your sins, confess your sins. You know that for you, in order to be able to be prepared in your heart to receive Jesus, just like the world had to be prepared in their heart to receive Jesus, you know what they had to do? Repent. That's a big word. It just means to turn from this way to turn another way. Uh, when, when you are going to receive Jesus and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, then you say, it's no longer my will, but it is thy will in my life. And it just means you simply turn around from your life, your way, and you say, Jesus is the way. And if you do that, if you're going towards Jesus, then when people look at you, they're going to see where you're looking and see where you're headed, and they're going to see Jesus. You see, that's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose. So when people look at you, they say, man, there is something different about that person. They seem to have a joy, a peace. They have a gentleness, a kindness. Something in their spirit is a little bit different. I wonder where they're going. I wonder where where they're headed. And they see Jesus because they see the altar and perfecter of our faith at the end of the tunnel. And they say, well, that must be where it comes from because their focus is on that. That was John's focus. He didn't care about the way he looked. He didn't care about even having food on the table. He said, God will prepare me food that I I can eat. Even if it's only bugs, I'll eat bugs. That's cool. Doesn't matter to me. You know what matters most is that I go out there and I tell people they're there to repent of their sins so that they can be ready for the soon coming Messiah. That was John's purpose. He says, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Thus the name John the Baptist, right? In case you were wondering, that's pretty self-explanatory. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, 
This is what he said. He said he would see the religious leaders of that day coming, and he would know that their hearts were not right. Their hearts were not towards God. They, they were not focused on the same thing he was focused on. They were focused on something else. You know what they were focused on? Appearances. Outward appearances. They were focused on having the right robes. They were focused on having cords around their neck, having the right lapels and all kinds of junk hanging around on the outside going, look at me, look at how religious I am. Look at how much I love God by what you can see on the outside. And John saw straight to their hearts and he said, you bunch of snakes. You're no different than the serpent that was in the Garden of Eden. You're no different the only difference is you've dressed it up and you made it look nice on the outside. That's why here at Simple Church, you know what we're interested in? We're interested on the inside. I don't really care what you look like on the outside. I know that may sound coarse or, or violent or whatever, but I don't really care. If you wear a baseball cap in here, the Holy Spirit of God is not going to be quenched by that. If you sit in the wrong place, it's okay. It really is. I don't care where you sit. If you want to sit over there and eat a bagel while I preach the word of God, if you have ears over there and you hear the word of God and you repent of your sins and you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I don't care what kind of bagel you eat. It doesn't matter to me. That is not the kind of stuff I care about. What I care about is the word of God. What I care about is what Jesus says. What I care about is your heart, just like Jesus does. Whew, sorry. If somebody could get me a soapbox right here, I promise I would stand on it and... Uh, Maybe even do a backflip off of it. I don't know. Whew. Anyway, he looks at these, these snakes and he exclaimed, Who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you are repentant of your sins and turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe or we are descendants of Abraham. We can't look at our lineage and look back and say, Well, my mama and daddy did this. Well, I guess I must be good. You know how many kids I've had say that to me? That Well, you know, my mom and daddy were Christians. I don't care who your mom and daddy is. All I care about is your heart. You don't have your mom and daddy's heart. You may have their bloodline. You may have their blood running through your veins. But you don't have their heart. That means nothing. <laughs> well, John, John the Baptist, he liked to mince words, doesn't he? he didn't, he's really about uh, cutting to the chase, doesn't he? He didn't really beat around the bush much. He's, For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from those very stones. He said, man, he could even make it out of the rocks of the earth. Making a child of Abraham is not the, the biggest deal, he says, but... Now the axe of God's judgment is poised and ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. You know what he said? He said it's about what you do. You know what fruit is? Fruit is the outward display of what's in your heart. The, the gentleness, the kindness, the meekness, having self-respect, having respect for other people, all of those kinds of things, that's fruit that's what shows that you're a follower of Jesus. That's what shows that your heart is right. These people, the Sadducees and Pharisees of the day, you know what they did most of the time? They just condemned other people. They looked at themselves and said, look at how religious and righteous I am. And they looked at other people and said, look at how filthy and nasty and gross and grotesque you are. John the Baptist, he's turning the tables on these people. They're the, they, the, they think that they're the ones that fit in, right? They think that they're the ones that are in the in, the in crowd. And this is just some crazy guy out in the wilderness. And he says, no, 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 you are completely wrong. Because of what's on the inside in my heart, that is what makes me on the in crowd. You guys are on the outside looking in. You just don't realize it. You spent so much time dressing up, you forgot to, to clean what's on the inside. You're cleaning on the outside. And you're, not, you're dirty and filthy and nasty on the inside. 
He says, I baptize with water for those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone who is coming who is greater than I am. What is he doing? He's pointing towards Jesus. He's pointing towards Jesus Christ. He says, someone who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave or to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with a, the winnowing uh, fork. He will, be, he will clean up the threshing area. Gathering the wheat into his barn and burning the chaff with a never-ending fire. This is what he says. He says, there's a guy coming. It ain't me, but there's a guy coming. Some people even thought that John the Baptist was the Messiah. They would look at him and say, no, 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 it ain't me. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong address, the wrong telephone number. There's another one coming. He's the one I'm pointing to. See, you're looking at me, and you're thinking it's all about me. And I'm telling you right now, as you look at me, you need to look at where I'm going. And that is preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And he says, it's not me, but there is one who is coming. And there is one who can see your hearts even more so than I can. He can see your outward deeds and see how nasty and filthy you are, but he can see your heart and see the fact that you are actually a snake on the inside. He is coming, and what is he going to do? He's going to cut and he's going to separate. See, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but the sword. He said, I came to, to separate the wheat from the chaff, the, 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 the good from the bad, to actually look inside your heart, see what's there, see if you've truly repented of your sins and turned towards God or if you haven't. You see, there, there's, no, there, there's no in between. There, there's no, if you cut something with a sword, it's either one side or the other. It's not somewhere in between. And you know when Jesus looks at your heart, you either are fully surrendered to God and, and you have repented of your sins and turned towards God or you haven't. There's not some kind of sort I maybe one day did or I, I, I kind of did at some point in time. It's either yes or it's no. I wish I could tell you it was different. I wish I could say, well, you know, some of you are kind of saved and some of you are kind of not. You're either in, in Christ's kingdom or you're not. You're either here or there. You're not somewhere in between. And this is exactly what John says. He says, I'm just preparing for a way for a guy that's coming. He's made a way for you to get to God. He's coming and he's... He's coming with fire, and he's the one that's going to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. But John the Baptist, he, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't Jesus. He still struggled with doubt. He still struggled with sometimes uh, maybe not even doing what he should have done. Um, we're going to talk about that in Matthew chapter 11. You know, I... I, I shudder to think that somebody might one day put on my tombstone, Kenny Nix, he was a good man. You know what I want on my tombstone? I, I want somebody to write on my tombstone, and I believe this will preach till Jesus comes back. I want somebody to put on my tombstone, he was ter a terribly wicked man, but he understood his desperate need for Jesus Christ. That's what I would love to have on my tombstone, Pastor Kenny Nix. A terribly wicked man who completely understood his need for Jesus Christ. I believe that would preach even though I'm dead and in the ground. I believe people would look at that and go, do what? Maybe even challenge them to go to the word of God and see what I'm talking about. John the Baptist, he struggled with doubt. He got, he got in trouble because he called out somebody on their sin. And, uh, you know, the kings in that day, if you call them out on their sin and you tell them that, uh, that they're wicked and evil, they didn't really respond to that too well. They would just kind of throw you in jail and forget about you. Um, and they would say, well, you know, eventually maybe he'll eat or maybe eventually uh, we'll unchain him from that wall when we think about it or, 
uh, you know, we'll, we'll put him in the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon. And I doubt anybody else will talk bad about us if we, if we do that to every single person that talks bad about us. And that's what they did to John the Baptist. They threw him in jail. And he's been there for about a year. And I want you to understand that this is a guy who spent all of his time out in the wilderness doing whatever he wanted to. You know, he was eating off the, off the land. And he was an outdoorsy guy. I mean, I'm sure if he lived in today's day and time, he would have been a deer hunter. He probably would have had a bow. Um, you know, something like that. He probably would have made his own bow. He probably wouldn't have bought one, but he probably would have made his own bow. He's an outdoorsy kind of guy. And what happens is, is they take John the Baptist, they get mad at him for calling him out on his sin, and, and they throw him in a dungeon, the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon. And he's chained to the wall there, and there, uh, there's no place to go to the bathroom. There's rats everywhere. Can you imagine being in there for a year and not even possibly even seeing sunlight for that period of time? You imagine how devastating that must have been to a guy that, um, a guy that's used to being outdoors in the sunshine all the time and living off the land. Can you imagine how terrible that would be for him? And here he is. He's actually in prison, and we're going to look at what happens to him in prison and, and what he says. In Matthew chapter eleven, if you want to just turn over a couple of chapters, we'll look at uh, what Jesus says about this man, and we'll look at what uh, John the Baptist was kind of enduring. In Matthew chapter 11, it says this in verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? You see, John the Baptist had several folks that kind of followed him around. He had folks that, that traveled around with him, and when he would baptize people in the Jordan River, they would be alongside of him, and, and maybe they'd even be doing some of the baptizing themselves. Um, they followed him around, and they listened to his teaching, and they listened to what he said about repentance. And so he's got some of these guys that are still coming around him, and he's been in prison. They're probably checking on him, making sure he's at least eating once a day, that kind of stuff. And he sends word out through his disciples to go and find Jesus. And he asks, he asks this question, he says, are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else? This is a man who committed his whole life to pointing towards the coming Messiah. This is a, a man who, who, who forsook a lot of things just so he could, he could just point towards the Messiah that was to come, that Jesus was coming to save the whole world. And here he is stuck in a prison in the deepest, darkest part of the, the dungeon. And, and here he is questioning, are you the Messiah? Now, you know what I want to think, I think is the beautiful part about this? You know where he goes with this question? He doesn't ask his disciples, do you think this is the Messiah? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't ask the, the guards that are around, do you think that that guy is really the Messiah? You know where he goes with this question? He goes to Jesus with this question. You would think if Jesus has been telling everybody that he's the Messiah and he's the one that if you didn't believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, you wouldn't go and ask him, are you sure you're the Messiah? You would ask anybody and everybody, but you wouldn't go to the crazy person who claims to be Messiah, and you wouldn't ask him, are you the Messiah? But that's exactly what John the Baptist does. You know what you're supposed to do when you're struggling with doubt, when you're having a difficult time, and you're wondering where God is and what God is doing, and does God really exist? You know what you're supposed to do? This may sound crazy. When you're wondering where God is, talk to God about it. You're supposed to talk to Jesus about where Jesus is. You see, I want to tell you something, that when you break down the lines of communication, that's where you've got a problem. That's where the real problems come in, is when you stop talking. 
I had to give this advice to a guy not too long ago, and I told him, I said, you and your wife, if you ever have problems, it's okay, but it's when you stop talking, that's when it's really bad, and that's when you need to be on high alert, is when you stop talking. The same thing goes with your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's okay for you to doubt. Yes, I just said that from the pulpit. It is okay for you to doubt and wonder and question about what God is doing, where God is, is he real, is he here, is he doing what he's supposed to be doing in my life? It's okay for you to do that, but let me encourage you, the place you're supposed to take those questions, you take them straight to God. And you say, God, I'm not sure what you're doing. I'm not sure where you are. I'm not sure how you're in this situation. I can't even see it. But God, I, I, just, I need you to remind me that you're still God in my life. I spent a lot of time with a chaplain at Children's Hospital uh, late at night on Friday nights. He, he, it was his night shift, and he would come in, and, and while we were there, when Kenneth was getting treatment, uh, he and I would sit down and we'd just talk. And I said, man, I bet you've seen some stuff, had not you? He said, Kenny, I, I've seen some of the worst things that you can possibly imagine. Kids burned alive, car wrecks, uh, kids with arms and legs missing. They call me down to the, to the emergency room. I know that it's bad. I know that it's bad when they call me down there. Most likely a child has died or a child is critically injured or something like that. And it's probably not going to be a good situation. He said, I said, man, I cannot imagine how difficult it must be to comfort somebody in that kind of situation. He said, this is the thing, Kenny. He says, every single time, every single one of those times, I think, God, how can you be here? How can you be in this? How can you be doing something in this situation? He says, God shows up. He says, he doesn't ever show up in a way that I expect him to, but he always shows up. I guarantee you. You have to have your eyes open. You have to be looking for him. But God shows up, and he's working in the hearts and lives of the people around that situation. And he's changing them, and he's shaping them, and he's molding them for their good and his glory. And they might not even be able to recognize it at that time. But he said, as a man of God, I can promise you that every single situation, God shows up. So in your life. And you're questioning, you're wondering, and you wonder where God is. How could he possibly in this situation? Take that question to God. Take it to God, straight to Jesus himself. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. In verse 4 it says, Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him, uh, you have heard and seen the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news is being preached to the poor, and tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. This is what he said. He says, I hadn't changed. I'm still Jesus. I've always been Jesus. I'm always going to be Jesus. The dead are still being raised. The blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. The lame are being cured. He says, I haven't ever changed. The only thing that has changed is you. The only thing that has changed is where you are and what you're seeing and what you're hearing. The, the, the difference is you're not here to see and witness all that, but I haven't changed. I'm still doing the work of the Father. And you just happen to be stuck in this terrible situation. He said, don't give up. I'm still here. I'm still doing what God has sent me to do, and you are here to prepare the way. I believe that John probably did this for, for two reasons. One is probably because he was in a deep, dark, desperate situation, and uh, you know, his disciples were around him. I think he also did it for his disciples. He wanted those people to re recognize that if, if he dies, if they kill him in that prison, then they need to go and they need to follow Jesus. I believe that he was strengthening those disciples, the ones that were going to ask, because there's probably some of them that were asking the same question. If you're still God, if you really are God, then why are we suffering? Why are we hurting this way? And they probably had that question going on in their minds. 
So John says, you know what you need to do? You need to go to the Messiah and you need to ask him. And he says, I'm still here. I'm still God. Nothing has changed. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking to the crowd. I said, what kind of man do you go to see in the wilderness? As I was, was he a weak reed swaying in every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, uh, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, he is more than a prophet. Uh, John is a man who the scriptures refer to when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare the way for you. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the, last per the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. This is what he says. He says, of all the people that's ever been born, John the Baptist is the greatest. That's a pretty big compliment. I don't know about you, but if Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, says, that is the greatest man who's ever lived, I go, well, thank you very much. That is a badge of courage I will wear for quite a while. Uh, he was saying that John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived. Why did he say that? John the Baptist was questioning whether or not he was the Messiah. Well, the reason is, is because he took his question to God. He still believed. He just was in a, a fit of crisis there for a little while. But he came and said, yes, indeed, this is the Messiah. And he even told his disciples, you need to go and follow this man. Let me ask you this question. In your life, does it point towards Jesus? In your life, are, are you looking towards the author and perfecter of our faith? Are you pointing everybody towards Jesus when they look at your life and they see where you are? They may not see where you were yesterday, but where you are right now. Are you, are you committing your life to following Jesus in such a way that when people look at you, they say, yes, indeed, I want what that person has. I want to be like that person. i got to look and go on the same path that they're going on. Is that the pattern of your life? There's one other thing he says here. He says, John the Baptist is the greatest born among women. It's what he actually, the phrase he actually uses. And he, he says, but even John the Baptist is least, is least compared to those that are in God's kingdom. Even as, as great and as awesome as John was as a human being, he was still lesser than, than the least in the kingdom of heaven. It's hard to imagine, right? Can you imagine committing your whole life to Christ and, and, and and forsaking everything in the world, you're not worried about whether you bathe or eat or any of that kind of stuff. And you do all of that and you go, even after all of that, I'm still less than the least in the kingdom of God. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of grace. Is the fact that when God rescues you out of that deep, dark place, when he, when he pulls you out of the pit and cleans you up, and you become clean on the inside, and you come into the kingdom of God, you are so much better than, than anybody who hasn't done that. And no matter how good they look on the outside, no matter how dressed up and clean looking they are on the outside, you are perfectly clean on the inside. And because of that, you are greater than even the cleanest person on the outside. You know, my life has, has been a roller coaster ride in a lot of ways. Um, times when uh, I was close to God, times when uh, I questioned God. And there have been times where, where I've not exactly been a light for his kingdom. But the overall picture of my life, I pray, is one of somebody who is continually trying their best to seek an almighty God and his will for, for his life. Somebody who recognizes his desperate need for grace. Somebody that recognizes his need for a, an intervention by a holy God. That intervention was made through Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He came to this world, as we talked about, 
in Luke chapter 2, he came to this world. And it says that, that in, in Luke chapter 1, that, that when, when Jesus was in, in the womb of his mother Mary, and Elizabeth uh, had John in her womb, and, and they were both carrying. It says when, when John the Baptist came in the presence of Jesus, even though they were, they were separated by the two wombs of the two mothers, it says that he literally leapt inside the womb. The mother's stomach just leapt, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, is what it says. He was, he could tell, even inside his mother's stomach, that he was in the presence of Jesus. He committed his whole life, from the time that he was inside the womb, he was committed to pointing towards the Messiah. Are you so filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you so filled with the power of God that everything in your life points towards Jesus? Is that the desire of your life, that... that even though, you know, jobs are important and, and, and kids are important and all those things are important, is it still second, second to the fact that Jesus is the most important? That's the question. And the good news is it doesn't matter how much of a misfit you are on the outside. It doesn't matter what your hair looks like. It doesn't matter if you have hair, don't have hair. It doesn't matter what your clothes look like. It doesn't matter if you wear jeans or a baseball cap or have glasses, you have LASIK surgery or contacts. It doesn't matter. What matters for you to be the greatest and better than any other human being that, that, that is even good is that you accept Christ, that you put your faith and trust in Him. Because of that, He can clean you up, wash you up, and, and make you clean on the inside and make you new. It's a beautiful picture. It's amazing how He changes misfits and, and all of their, their messed up ways, and He transforms them and makes them new. That's kind of his thing. He's in the business of creating things and making them new. Let me pray and we'll have a time of response. Maybe, maybe you've got something in your life. You just need to say, God, I commit my life right now to just following you. Whatever it is, I just pray that you just be responsive to his Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you and your heart, when, when, when you hear this, it makes your heart leap because you know that you're in the presence of Jesus and Jesus is speaking to you. Maybe that's what's going on inside of you this morning. Let me pray and we'll have a time of response.